Here at Doxaday Bloom, we are excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope that you enjoy today's message. Hi family, I'm Anneri Logan and I'm part of the full-time team here in Bloemfontein, Vechard Park. Welcome to our Christmas Carols Sunday. You are joining us for week two as we are going on a journey through some of the most famous Christmas carols ever written. We are taking the time to look at these beautiful songs and not just because they were written beautifully and composed beautifully, but because of the heart behind all these beautiful lyrics. If you missed last week's Christmas carol celebration, you can still find it online on our YouTube channel and we want to encourage you to share it. Go and enjoy it again but share it with family and friends. This is really the time of year where people in our country need good news. So today I have the privilege of taking us on a journey through the very famous carol, Oh Come All Ye Faithful, which is one of my absolute favorite carols, not just because it is so well done, but really because of what the carol actually says. And we're going to go on a little journey together just to understand why the writer wrote the song in this specific way. But first, I'd like to give you a little bit of background. So the song was actually originally written in Latin. And so for all those choir lovers out there, you will know the name, Adeste Fideles. And it was written by John Francis Wade, who was an 18th century hymnist. Interestingly enough, it was only translated to English in 1841 by Frederick Oakley. So the lyrics, as you have already heard this beautiful song just before we started, is so powerful, but we don't have time to go through every single verse. So I'm going to focus specifically on the first verse, which says, O come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant, O come ye to Bethlehem, come and adore him, Christ the King. So if we just go back a little bit and we start with the first line, O come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. It really kind of makes you feel, wow, that is a loaded line to start with. <laughs> There's no way that all of us at this moment feels triumphant, joyful um, and faithful <laughs> at the same time, especially at this time of year. In fact, what we are seeing are people rushing to get Christmas shopping done, rushing to get things for holiday going, the traffic is getting packed, and then there's that looming um, COVID situation that's still behind us, and we don't know yet what is to come. All these things surrounding us doesn't really make us feel all that faithful. And then on a very serious note, if we go and look at all the events of the last year, maybe we should make it the last, two years, it has been a very, very testing time. We have experienced heartbreak. We have lost loved ones. Some of us even have lost jobs and security. Our country has experienced so much pain. And so it's very difficult to go into this festive season feeling anything but faithful. And so it begs the question, why did this writer start the song with such a loaded invitation? Is he saying only those that are already faithful, joyful and triumphant are allowed to come and experience God's presence, are allowed to be witnesses in this incredible historical event? Or maybe 
that first line is alluding to the writer understanding something about Jesus, which makes him not only having a personal relationship with God, but shows how incredibly well he writes. You see, if we want to understand this first line, and if we really want to understand what he was alluding to, we need to test it with the word, which I always love. And that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to start by going to the word and asking this question. Who did Jesus call? If this writer says the triumphant and the joyful um, and the faithful, if we look at the word, who did Jesus actually call? And how would that have changed this whole song? If we look at Matthew 11 verse 28, I'm reading from the CSB translation. It says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Which immediately shows us that no, Jesus did not call those who are perfectly sorted out, those who are ready for life, those who are excited with no problems. No, he says, come to me, those who are weary and burdened. In other words, every single one of us, not perfectly ready and prepared, but in a broken state, come as you are with the promise of perfect rest. In Matthew 9 verse 12 to 13, Jesus was in the middle of an argument or, or listening to an argument happening with our dearest Pharisees where they were accusing him for spending time with the tax collectors. And yet his answer to them was this, it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. And later the verse ends, for I didn't come to call the righteous, but the sinners. See, if we had to take the biblical view and start the song all over, it would have sung, O come all ye who are burdened and lonely and sad and heavy hearted, who are lost and in need of a savior, O come all ye sinners to Bethlehem. So that would be the biblical viewpoint. But see what this writer did so beautifully is he understood something about the revelation of who Jesus is and how that changes us. Because he understands something very important, that Jesus doesn't leave us where he found us. You see, he calls us from a place of brokenness, from a place of sin and feeling lost and afraid and alone. But that's not where he leaves us. His desire was never for us to live from a place where we constantly feel, oh, I'm a sinner and I need a savior and that's my relationship with God. No, he says, I have called you, but for something more than where I found you. You see, in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, it answers it so well. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. You see, this writer understood this principle because he starts the song by saying, Oh, come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant, which means he understood that we are not the old, but we come as the new, the new creation. And that means every single one of us has been qualified to come with thanksgiving and praise from a place of strength, from a place where we do not live from being a sinner, 
but a place where we say, Lord, I come as a new creation. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and through me and with me. What a time to celebrate. What a time to say, oh, come. And this makes me so excited because now the next question that is raised has to be, how? How does this happen? How do we become then these people that are triumphant and joyful and faithful? Because clearly it is not where God found us. He doesn't leave us there. We are changed. But then what does he change us into? What does Jesus help us become? And this is where the connection with the, with the song becomes so incredible. It is three things. Jesus helps us become more faithful. Why do I say that? Hebrews 12 verse 2 and the Amplified Version that said it so well, looking away from all that will distract us and focusing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of faith, the first incentive for our belief and the one who brings our faith to maturity. <laughs> You see, there's no way that we can sing a song that says, I have to somehow be faithful to sing this or worship God or spend time with Him or become a new creation. No, in becoming a new creation, God also transforms us into His likeness. And one of those wonderful things that this writer put in here is faithful. But it is not something I can become on my own. It is something that I'm made into. The more I spend time in God's presence, the more I see who He is. And that's why I love that it starts with look away from all that will distract us and focus your eyes on Him. Why? Because the more I focus on Him, the more I will become like Him. Not by my own flesh and striving and serving, but because of Him. Because when Christ lives through me and in me, I will bear witness and have a taste and see of who he is. Jesus helps us become more joyful. <laughs> this is one of those things where the whole world is constantly in search for joyfulness. But the problem is the world's viewpoint is happiness. And happiness and joyfulness <laughs> is not the same thing. To be happy and to have real joy cannot even be compared. You see, happiness is based on what we have, on the things that happen to us, on happenings. And so it's also fleeting. It's not everlasting. We joy, as we see in the Bible in Galatians 5, the one we all know, where it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Joy is actually a fruit of the Spirit, which means it's something we produce because we are in Christ. It is not something that can be found by what we own or have or have around us. I was watching a documentary this week about this really famous actor that went on a journey to find himself and to discover the real purpose or, or point of happiness. And at the end of it, he came to the very sad conclusion that true happiness is only found within yourself. And I was watching this going, no, this is the problem when we don't have Christ, because then it makes sense that you need to find it somewhere, but you find it in all the wrong places. In fact, this actor went on to say, even in their marriage, they made 
the hectic decision to take a two-year break from each other, to go and find their true selves and their true happiness and then bring those completed happy people back to each other. And again, my heart breaks because they are speaking from a place where they don't know any better. But you and I know we have tasted and we have seen what is true and what is good and what is pure and what is noble. And God is asking us not to go and find moments of happiness and things of happiness, but to tap into Him. Donnie uses this wonderful example that I love um, about being a tree. And a tree cannot just, you know, close its eyes, squeeze, and then good food pops out. No, it needs the right elements. It needs enough water and sunlight. It needs good soil. A tree that is planted with its roots in the right soil produces beautiful fruit. And it's the same with us. We can't just go and force joyfulness out of ourselves. We can't just force all those fruits of the Spirit out. It is something that comes when you are rooted in what is God. And only by doing that can we produce an everlasting fruit of joy. You see, then it is not fleeting. And that is why Jesus helps us to become more joyful in every moment and every situation. Jesus, lastly, the third one that we're looking at, if we're focusing on the song, Jesus helps us to become more triumphant. <laughs> and this one makes me very excited because this is one of those areas where we tend to forget who God is, especially in this season of the year. Because what we are busy with is Christmas trees and gifts and, you know, we want the right food and we're going to have a Christmas party and all these things that tend to distract us from what's really going on. And then the world loves to portray Jesus in this time of year as the wee little baby in a manger and the little lamb, you know, and everything is just innocent and pure. But that is not where God ended the story. Yes, he sent Jesus and he was a baby, but he grew and he was fully man, but he was also fully God. And yes, he dwelled among us, but that was not the end of the story. Christmas was just the beginning of a story that was predicted over years and years and years, a prophecy of one that would come to save us all. In fact, in Isaiah 9 verse 6, the prophet actually says it, for a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us. But please take note, it goes on. What will he do? And the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast and his prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with what? Justice and righteousness from now and forever. And I love how he ends it. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. You see, we get stuck either in the worldview of the baby Jesus, the little lamb, or even in our relationship with God. It is not comfortable for us to view God as the Lord of armies, the one who is mighty to save. It's easier for us to relate to our friend, the beloved one, the Prince of Peace. But we cannot pick and choose who God is because he is all of that combined. To go back, Jesus helps us become more triumphant. It is not because 
we somehow have magical powers and now we are triumphant and here we go. No, it is because of who he is, because he is the triumphant one that we become triumphant. You see, the world wants to view someone who is triumphant as someone who has power, money, control, status, you know, a name. But Jesus comes in the opposite spirit and he says, no, not because of who you are, but because of who I am in you and through you. And the question is then, do you know who is fighting for you? Do you know who is standing next to you as the triumphant king of all. I want to end off with a story, personal story. Um, five years ago, I was pregnant with my little girl and we had planned a lot of things as all new parents do, having an expectation of what is to come. <laughs> but everything did not work out perfectly. In fact, um, she was 32 weeks, um, I literally preached my last sermon the night before, I was still busy at work, and the next moment I was admitted to hospital because I was in the beginning stages of going into labor at 32 weeks, and my world came crashing down <laughs> because it was too early, and as the doctors and nurses kept telling me, this was dangerous, her survival rate is not high, her lungs are not well developed, we need to do everything we can to keep her inside of you. Meanwhile, my husband and I felt so helpless, so lost, so terrified. And for two days, that's all we did is just try and fight for this little one not to come. But God's timing is not our timing and his plans are not our plans. And we don't know why this happened the way that it did. But literally just after midnight, my water broke. She was exactly 33 weeks and I was about to give birth. And I've never been that scared in my entire life. Just as I gave birth, there was no sound. She didn't make a sound, she didn't cry, and I had to see her being moved to a table with a pediatrician. There she is with my husband. They're trying to resuscitate her, fight for her life. My husband said the scariest moment of his life. His little girl lying here, they're fighting for her. His wife there, they're trying to recover me from a very hectic birth, and he has no control. And this is exactly how we feel so many times that we lose control, we lose all sense of hope. Things happen around us and then somehow we go, Lord, how can I still be triumphant in this moment? But God came through. And even though part of our story is that we couldn't take our little girl home, that she was in ICU for another month, that we had to constantly pray and wait on God to help her overcome milestone by milestone because for those who have had premature babies, you know, every milestone matters. But what was most important in this time is that Mary and I realized we can't do anything to change the situation, but what we can do is worship. And that's what we did on the way from home to the hospital, at home every night, whether we were crying or angry or frustrated, all that we could do was focus on who God is and worship Him. And that brings me to the end of the last question I want to leave us with. What is the point of all of this? Why come? Why come all ye faithful and be called to see this King? <laughs> to come and adore Him. That is the point. Because He is not just meant to be a baby in the manger for us. No, he was meant to come and change the world. 
He was meant to be the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the chosen one to save us all, the author and the perfecter of all works, the Prince of Peace and the Bread of Light, the Light of the World, Christ the King. What is the point? Why do we, do we come? Why do we ask, oh, come all ye faithful? To come and adore Him, to come and worship Him. And so that is what we're going to do. Father, we want to thank you for not just giving us carols through amazingly talented and gifted people, but to come and stir in us in this time songs that will remind us why we are here. That in the midst of chaos, heartache, pain and storms, in the midst of a festive season where we are meant to celebrate, we can also say, Lord, because of who you are, we can worship. Because of who you are, we come and adore. We come and bear witness to everything that you are. And so, Father, I pray for every single person right now who is at home, whatever their situation, that you will stir up in them a triumphant spirit, not because of their situation or their circumstances, but because you are Christ in them and through them, that you will awaken in them the wonder and the adoration of who you are. May we worship you in spirit and in truth. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.